This week on Punch Mountain, daywalkers, fighting mascots, and cars that commit murder. The past 12 episodes had a little bit of everything, and we're getting one last look at them before putting them back on the shelf. It's our inventory episode. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello, and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of all action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. David Hada. David Hada, how the hell are you? I'm doing well, Mac Blake. How are you doing? I know you've got, uh, we've got a lot going on. We'll, we'll probably release this around the end of this year, uh, beginning of 2024. So uh, how are you doing, Mac Blake? I think probably beginning of the year, which you, the listener, can tell right now. Is it 2025 and this just came out? Oh, the hubris on us that we could get a short episode out in under a year. Uh, I'm doing good, David. I am a sucker for the flipping of the calendar page, even though December 31st, January 1st, you know, they don't really mean much. I, for some reason, because it's a new year, this arbitrary borderline of one year to the next, I get excited. I make resolutions. I think suddenly... I'm going to stop doing all my bad habits and suddenly be very capable of all these new good habits. Uh, So yeah, I'm excited for 2K24. What about you? Same. I'm in one of those limbo periods right now as we record this where I'm putting everything off until January where there's stuff like, oh, I'll I'll really start the job search in the new year. It's like, you've got a few weeks. You could start it now. Like, what do you think? Someone's going to try to hire you tomorrow? Like, oh, I really wish I could take that job, but I I committed to not starting this until January. Like, I'm shutting all the engines down for the latter part of the year. You know, it's funny. I had that same thought. I was like, why wait until January 1st? Whatever your things are that you want to improve upon, start them now. Like, start them here in December. And I was like, yeah, great idea. And I did none of them, David. So you might say like, oh, that's a bad uh, omen. For things to come for next year. But again, I'm delusional. So I'm like, oh no, things will change. Things will get so much better come January. I think the hardest part about the year ending when it does is that it comes in the gloomiest part of the year as far as weather goes. And it also comes at a part of the year that is full of baked goods and full of like candy and junk and vacation days. So it really is, you know, in your head, you might want to hit the treadmill a few weeks before January starts. Sure. But at the same time, I got a whole gingerbread house I got to devour <laughs> and pretend like I'm, I'm Godzilla in some weird universe. Godzilla plus two, David. Me and you. Oh, but back, we're here to talk about episodes 37 through 48. It's our inventory episode. We do one of these every 12 episodes or every 12 movies just to kind of put a bow on everything. It's Christmas time. Why not put a bow on it? Christmas time. This will come out in January, as we're saying this now. It's a holiday season. Yeah, the holiday season. But I'll tell you what, Mac, opening thoughts. What do you think of episodes 37 through 48 in general? What what are you looking forward to in this episode? Well, I mean, we just had a lot of delays, you know, in getting these episodes out. And some of those delays were just the fact that we had our five-episode run of, you know, featuring guests for the first time on Punch Mountain. And those episodes ended up being each one a beast. Very long Turns out we uh, like our friends and we like talking to them. That's unfortunate. <laughs> and I, look, I know people out there will be like, release it. Release an unedited five-hour episode about Book of Eli. No, you don't fucking want that. Trust me. I'm already like a semi-disgusted with myself at all times. If I had to listen to my, these gigantic, long, meandering, like, you know what, David? Let me go ahead and take that uh, 
last three minutes over again. If we had to release those, uh, you'd hate me too. As much as I wince after every episode, after listening to each of them, those are the fully baked ideas that I'm presenting to you in those episodes. This does not include the half-baked ideas. This does not include the conspiracy theories or the sort of, hey, have you ever really thought about the movie Mr. Brooks? Like, shut up. No, you <laughs> we're doing it, we're doing it for your own good. But yeah, I mean, because it feels like we started this last uh Baker's dozen, Baker's dirty dozen. Actually, isn't Baker's Dozen 13? This is a regular dozen. Fuck those bakers. That's right. Because we started so long ago, the fact that the first one we're going to talk about, episode 37, Need for Speed, I was like, holy shit. I feel like we did that one back in the 90s. Like, it just, it feels forever ago. I was looking at this run of movies, and man, there's some really fun movies in this in this this dozen. I think I like our podcast, David. I think I like action movies, and I like talking about these dumb action movies. I, I will have to agree with you, Mac. I was getting the notes ready for this episode, and I decided, well, you know what? Let me go ahead and highlight all of the movies on the mountain that we covered in the past 12 episodes. And it's just like buckshot. There's some at the tippy top of the list. There's some at the biggity bottom of the list. And, and everything bottom. in between. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I thought I could slip that by. Why did you have to call attention to it? No comment. No comment here. Let's keep keep going. <laughs> but no, this was, an, uh, this was a very interesting dozen episodes. You're absolutely right. I thought we did Need for Speed when I was in high school. It seems so long ago. So it'll be fun to kind of uh, almost catch up with some of these early episodes and also talk a little bit more about those episodes that we had to cut down from five hours to a, a scant two and a half. Dave, before we take stock of the last 12 episodes, let's check in with two people who refuse to take stock of their many, many mistakes. It's us, David. It's a friendship check-in. We're those friends. David, Hada, how you doing for real this time? I'm doing quite well. I always look forward to the inventory friendship check-ins because I get to ask you about things that don't have to do with action movies. So, Mac, how are you doing uh, media-wise these days? Not not including all things action. Well, you know, I started watching that Apple Plus. Everything's Plus now, right? Yep. <laughs> like the worst stand-up comedian. Everything's plus these days. Disney <laughs> plus, Paramount plus. Uh, can I get a little minus? Um, uh, the Apple series, uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. And uh, I'm only a couple episodes in, but I like it. I also enjoyed Godzilla versus King Kong. I think I may be on board for the MonsterVerse, David. <laughs> like, I think... I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a monster for Stan, but I, I think I'm I think I'm into it. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing Godzilla Minus One, which by the time this comes out might be old hat. I'm not gonna draw too much attention to it, but but I've heard good things about it. And by that I mean people are talking about a Godzilla movie in just not muted terms. I feel like anytime anyone talks about Godzilla these days, it's just like, oh, there's a new Godzilla out, and that's it. But uh, Godzilla Minus One I've heard good things about. Yeah, me too. I I saw poor things uh recently. Which was uh, amazing. It was an amazing uh, movie. Uh, great performance by Emma Stone. Also great performance by Mark Ruffalo, who really needed it. And I, I feel like I'm betraying myself uh, by saying this, but like the more Marvel movies Mark Ruffalo did, the more kind of boring he got. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't want to, I'm a Marvel guy. I don't want to do that. Uh, but yeah, he, he was great in this role. Gave him something to really uh, sink his teeth into. But something that made me think like, that action movies, the the position that they uh, hold in my heart is not uh, healthy because the beginning of the movie, Poor Things, it's like kind of a little uh, uncomfortable 
And definitely some like icky moments. And I 100% had the thought like, we could have been watching the Marvels or something like that. Like, <laughs> I could have been watching an action movie right now. So the fact that this movie like challenged me at all, I was like, I just like the easy bang, bang, punch, punch, which no, come <laughs> on, Mac. Can you expand your, I don't even have to expand my horizons. It's like sustain my horizons. They're already yeah. there. I've seen the, uh, was this Yorgos Lanthimos? Yargos? Yorgos, yeah. Yeah. Well, my boy YL. I've seen his films before. They're great. Yeah. I like them a lot. I refuse to see Killing of a Sacred Deer because it looks like it'll it'll uh, uh, bum me out. It looks too looks too creepy. Was that one of his? Yeah, I think so. Oh, again, my toxic trait. I refuse to look it up. Killing of a Sacred Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> You're gonna the most. How about that? Why did that completely miss me? I well, because I think of his movie, or when I think of his movies, I think of The Lobster, and I think of The Favorite, and I think of Dogtooth. I think of all these weird movies. Favorite's so good. Uh, the Favorite's so good. But like the killing of a sacred deer just feels too normal for me to consider it a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. So I just, it completely missed me. What about you, David? How, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? That's a really good question. I am starting to watch movies again. And I'll tell you what I mean, because I've realized that I haven't really been paying attention to movies for the past few years. I kind of just checked out once the pandemic started because I couldn't really relate to anything coming out in contemporary society. I was like, I don't understand what your problem is really lady in this movie so i've just sort of checked out i'll i've resorted to watching my old favorite standbys watching old television that sort of thing mm-hmm. but i decided the other day you know what i'm gonna make a concerted effort to go back or just catch up i guess so so i did a search for top 10 lists for you know favorite movies of the year that sort of thing and just started putting together lists of movies from 2020 21 22 23 I've got them all organized on my Plex uh, because Plex has a watch list feature now. So it's very nice. I can just see the little posters or the one sheets of the movies that I'm I'm waiting to watch. Uh, so I was, I've been able to knock out a few. This is this is real progress, Mac. Uh, look at me watching movies again. Look at daddy. <laughs> I, we talked about this the other day. We talked about it off air and I'll go ahead and, and reiterate it on there. I think part of the issue for me was that there weren't a lot of movies that I felt compelled to like run out to the theater to see. And, you know, once you miss them in the theater, by the time they're at home, you never know if you'll get back to them again. Like the only, the only movies I've seen in the theater in the past couple years were licorice pizza to keep my Paul Thomas Anderson streak going and jackass forever, because you have to watch that in the theater. And then everything else is sort of, you know, wait till it gets there. So like the other day I saw the Banshees of Inisherin, which was a beloved movie from last year. It was critically acclaimed. It was nominated for awards. I watched it. I thought it was okay. And I'll tell you what, like there is no other movie that relates to me more in this day and age than the Banshees of Inisherin, but it just didn't move the needle for me. I watched Triangle of Sadness the other day, which is another well-regarded movie, but it was okay. I got it. I understood what you were trying to do with it, but I'm excited to go through this watch list, but it also feels like it's going to be kind of an egghead slog. Bad news for you, David. The Venn diagram between Punch Mountain fans and fans of Banshees of Inner Sharon, it's a fucking solar eclipse, buddy. <laughs> if I know the Punch Pals, the, the Mountaineers who listen to this thing, they're they're gunning for you. Yeah. That, well, I mean, you know, it's it's the guy who did in Bruges. I get that. Like, it's, you know, what else did he do? Seven Psychopaths? So to settle into this folktale, basically, or this fable uh, from the Irish islands, it's uh, it's a bit jarring. Did he also do billboards or was that his brother? He did billboards. Because his brother did War on Everything, is that what it was called? And then Cavalry and the Guard, which I also like. I'm a fan of both Madonnas. for sure. Me too. One more thing I wanted to mention, David. 
my family getting them to uh, all get together and watch like one movie was tough. I'm talking about my, like my immediate family, parents, sisters. And for some reason, there was one movie that uh, I think somebody gave it to me, like a Blu-ray or DVD, you know, now available, uh, one, one Christmas. And I stuck it in. And not only did everyone watch it, but they, they watched it in its entirety. And that movie was Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Now, I, I saw Rise, I saw Dawn, I did not see the last one. However, there's a new Apes movie coming out. Anytime there's a new Planet of the Apes movie, it makes me think of one thing in particular. Now, David, one day somebody will write a book about sports radio broadcaster Jim Rome. And I will read this book. Okay. <laughs> because Jim Rome, an unlikely superstar in the world of sports talk radio, because he's terrible. Uh huh. How did he get so popular? Was it just because he would like say things on uh, broadcasts that like fans would say? In other words, shitty opinions? You know what I mean? That's really it. He scratched the itch of the. Dennis Leary demographic, uh, as the best as I could recall. But, you know, there were people who were angry and just had takes. Like, they didn't really want to discuss sports. They were just like, all right, I've got 45 seconds to tell you about uh, Vinny Testaverde. Let me tell you about how Vinny Testaverde sucks. And then they condense it down to 45 seconds. And then Jim Rome's show was just reading their emails, responding to their takes, and then moving on. It was perfect because he just, he didn't really provide any sort of insight or commentary. He just matched the energy of his callers. That's all he needed to do, and he rode that to success. Yeah, and he had catchphrases too. Let's not for, let's not uh, discount those. But one time, David, like a lot of radio and podcast hosts, uh, when they have advertising, they read it themselves. You know, he'd be like, "Hey, uh, what did he call his fucking fans? Clones, clones. Oh, gross. <laughs> What's an equally as dumb version of Ditto Heads from fucking Scumbag Rush Limbaugh? He's like, "What's up, clones?" Uh, I want to tell you about a new energy drink, monster, or something like that, racket. Uh, but one time he did an ad for a box set with every Planet of the Apes movie. I don't know why. Someone in 20th Century Fox Home Video was like, this is our demographic. Let's have Jim Rome read it. And I, I did not look for a recording. But anytime a Planet of the Apes movie comes out, I think of, oh, my family would like this. And oh, Jim Rome. Because uh, <laughs> during the ad, he... The best part about it is like he could barely contain the fact that he thought it was so fucking stupid. Uh-huh. So he'd be like, hey, coming up, new box set, Planet of the Apes, all nine movies or whatever many Apes movies there are, plus lots of bonus footage. That's over 50 unseen hours of apes. So many apes. If you want apes, clones. Here's your place to get these apes. And he just hated it so much. Oh, my goodness. I liked a lot of stuff I can't fucking stand now. Why is that? I guess this is growing up. (laughs) Because we couldn't stand ourselves at that point. I'm just assuming because I feel the same way. But you're also reminding me of that Jim Rome cadence. Like, I haven't heard it in at least a dozen years. But just Planet of the Apes. Five DVD set, classic. <laughs> you gotta love it. So many apes. I mean, you can't, you can't wait to see those apes. Like, it's just really something. Yeah, and like his reliance on like just the worst wordplay, like <laughs> Testa Verde, looking old out there. More like Rest of Verde. He needs one. Needs a rest. It's like okay, okay, Jim. Oh my goodness, David. But you ready to take stock of these movies? You feeling some necessity for velocity right now, David? Mac, grab a big thing of red vines. We're going in. 
Um, I, you know what? My preferred movie candy, I, I didn't used to be, but I've come around. I'm the Sour Patch Kids guy now. Really? For the movies? Okay. Because I'll, I'll do popcorn, but then it also has to be something chocolate with the popcorn in case I want to dump it in the popcorn. I can't do that with Sour Patch. I did not know that was a thing until I saw the movie Whiplash and Paul Reiser did it. And I was like, you just blew my mind, Paul Reiser. <laughs> and not his character. He did it. Uh, okay. Episode 37, Need for Speed. Uh, I don't have a lot of thoughts about this movie. Well, I do. I, uh, I think about this movie all the time. But I, you know, I was very glad that we got to do it for an episode. It was my blue shell pick. This was something that I sort of threw out there for everybody. I'll, I'll sum it up uh, as, oh, shoot, who was it? It was Zero Opti on the Discord said, love the Need for Speed episode. It was one of those movies I just never wanted to watch. And with your explanation, now I never have to. <laughs> Thank you, Zero Opti. Yeah, I don't know. I just wanted more people to see it. What, do you have any thoughts about uh, Need for Speed, Mac? Well, unfortunately, I still check Box Office Mojo, even though they kind of, I don't say ruined the site, but they, they took the heart out of it. And Box Office Mojo, they'll have like little like showdowns down at the bottom with like current movies and like past ones. And as of this recording, the current showdowns are Concert Film Showdown, Taylor Swift Eras Tour, Justin Bieber Never Say Never. And then one of them is Gran Turismo versus Need for Speed. And the, uh, both at the, um, over a hundred day total at this point, which means they're both out of theaters. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, Gran Turismo made forty four million, and Need for Speed made forty three million. Now, unfortunately, I do think like movie grosses are interesting. Like mm-hmm. I check them and like we'll see which made more. And and I say unfortunately because even though it's interesting, I think it gets overused as the benchmark for whether a movie is good or not. Like for example, we I mentioned the Marvels earlier. The uh, the sequel to Captain Marvel, it tanked, David, it tanked. But like, what does tanked mean? It just, it made a lot less than was expected. Okay, it still made double Gran Turismo and Need for Speed. Yeah. Like Godzilla Minus One made like 15 million its first week and like, it's a hit. And I know what they're doing. They're comparing it to the budget, right? Like, you know, Marvel's had like a $250 million budget and it's not going to recoup it. But every review about this movie I read was just, it was just that, it was the numbers. There was no talk about like, whether it was good or not. Like, did somebody enjoy it? Like, Disney loses money? Okay, I don't give a shit. It's not my money. Mm-hmm. Did you like the movie? You know what I mean? Like, it's... I feel like it, it overshadows the discussion sometimes. It's like how much, uh, you know, money films make. So, yeah, like, the fact that it's like Gran Turismo versus Need for Speed, is Gran Turismo good? Like, you know, is, did people like these things? I mean, that's more interesting. I guess I could click on any other review and read it. It's just, but these things float to the top. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. the... The number one story with Marvels isn't like, oh, what did it look like? Uh, you know, how's the dynamic between the three leads? Like, it's, it was just all like, oh, didn't make as much. People are tired of it. Yeah, I think we come from the same era. Obviously, we're about a year apart in age. But a knowledge of box office grosses was kind of like a parlor trick almost. Or it was, it was like trivia that not everybody knew. But now box office is so tied into everyone's opinion of the movie. Like, if you ever go to the uh, the box office subreddit, on Reddit, it is just the most insufferable people talking about the most inconsequential thing. Like, oh, what's the Beyonce film going to have? What kind of legs is it going to have in its third weekend? It's like, did you see it? Are you going to see it? What did you think about it? Why are we spending so much time commodifying this thing? Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, as we release this, we'll probably be watching Aquaman leave theaters, and I know there's a lot of talk about that. Where, oh, well, it's not getting. Uh, screened or it's not getting uh, the the kind of press that Wonka is or the color purple is WB must be trying to tank it. It's like, we don't work in the industry. Why are we talking about stuff in these terms? Just 
watch the movie, like the movie, or don't like the movie. You know, if you like something, a lot of people like it, great. If you like something and not a lot of other people like it, congratulations. You could base your entire personality around it. <laughs> yeah, I thought Need for Speed was fun. Cool. Episode 38, Lost Bullet. David, have you seen Lost Bullet 2? I have. I saw it recently. Uh, (laughs) You you missed out, Mac. Have you not seen it yet? No. Well, I'll tell you this. I have a feeling we're going to do it for the mountain one of these days. It's a good enough action movie. I'll say that without trying, without divulging too much about it. Like the action set pieces are really memorable and really cool enough to get on this mountain. The story itself is preposterous and frustrating, but I think it's the (laughs) mountains kind of preposterous and frustrating. Uh Uh-huh. That leads me to what I want to talk about, David, is I would be open to some sequels, right? And maybe we put that up to the Discord, like, what sequel should we do here? Because, you know, sometimes we talk about, like, all right, if we're going to do um, uh, a raid movie, let's do the best raid movie. It's like, you know, but at some point, like, let's uh, let's run these franchises. We're obviously working our way through John Wick as, uh, spoiler alert, John Wick 2 is uh, coming up next. Uh, look, we talked about with Olympus Has Fallen. Did I think that was a great movie? No, not <laughs> by any means. But am I so excited to watch London Has Fallen? Yes, David. Yep, 100%. I, I don't know if you'd want to like do that every 10 movies, one includes a sequel. I mean, that, that might be arbitrary. But I think coming up next, we should put up a vote for some sequels. Just looking at the mountain list right now, is there a sequel that you would want to do? A sequel to a movie we've already done or a sequel in general? A sequel to a movie we've already done. And by sequel, I also could mean like, for example, we did Blade 2. Let's do Blade 1, like that kind of thing. Well, you know, I mean, Drunken Master 2 is the first one that comes to mind. I know that's a little far back in the uh, in the Punch Mountain catalog, but I like Drunken Master. It's it's still pretty low on the mountain list, though. I have to imagine they went a little crazier with Drunken Master 2. That's what I hear. So, yeah, I'd absolutely love to do that one. There's a Twitter thread going the other day where like, a bunch of people are like, commenting. The prompt was like, what's an action sequence you think about a lot? Or, or what's one that you know, lives in your head rent-free? And a lot of people mention the final fight in Raid 2, great fight. And there's a lot of mentions of the final fight in Drunken Master 2. So yeah, Drunken Master 2 is high on my list. Also, Lost Bullet 2, but I guess we have to wait. (laughs) I guess so. Episode 39, The Incredibles. Episode 39, The Incredibles. I like The Incredibles a lot. I'm really glad we got to do the episode. Um, Where did it end up on the mountain? And it ended up surprisingly high uh number 20 on the mountain so right right smack dab in the middle pretty much it got me thinking about incredibles 2 i know we touched on it in the incredibles episode so i went back and i went back and watched that one mac when was the last time you saw incredibles 2 i know you've got a kid so maybe recently yeah i mean this year i've watched parts of it again and again and again uh as my kid is a big fan of elastigirl oh sure of course um, I watched that movie the other day, and I'm really struck with the question of why. And I know we talked about, like, why wait 13 years or 14 years to release a sequel of no real consequence? But I think the problem I had when watching The Incredibles 2, I kind of had it on in the background. I was doing some other stuff, but I was wondering who that movie was made for. Like, every other Pixar movie, I'd have to pull up a list, but for the most part, every other Pixar movie feels like it's either family oriented or it's kid oriented, but adults can enjoy it too. That sort of thing where there's a deeper meaning that the kids aren't quite getting. I think the Incredibles two is the first Pixar movie that feels like it was made for adults because of the enthusiasm that adults had for the first one. And that just feels like not a smart move. And I, and I think it shows in the final product. Well, David, to betray my own stance about how box office does not determine (laughs) a movie's worth. 
Uh, that movie was made to make money, as it is the number one highest grossing Pixar film. But David, I think oh. you're absolutely right. Because kids cannot buy their own uh, shit. They have no money. Incredibles 2, it's aimed for adults to take their kids to. Because they're like, oh, I liked The Incredibles you know, years ago. Oh, I'll totally take you to see Incredibles 2. So uh, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. It, it's sort of, it, it's an easy buy for parents who are like, oh yeah, no, I'll totally go see this. And then also, you know, I've saw a lot of uh, Pixar movies in theaters before I had a kid. So yeah, I'm not saying that you have to have a child to enjoy a Pixar film. I think it helps to not have one to enjoy uh, <laughs> some if you like a quiet movie going experience. But yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. One lingering thought I had about The Incredibles. So the movie starts out and there's a superhero band, right? Like because um, of some collateral damage that follows the actions of Mr. Incredible, next thing you know, the government says no more superheroes, which, okay, but what about the supervillains? They already were illegal. If you say there's a ban, there already is a ban on criminals. It's called the law. So where (laughs) did these supervillains go, right? And in my mind, David, when I started thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, you know what happened? The superheroes go away. And then out comes the supervillains are like, yeah, yeah, free reign. Here we go. No more heroes to stop us. And the police of, uh, what is it, uh, Bergtropolis? Where do they live? Municipal. Oh, gosh, yes. The Municipal police, like when Bomb Voyage sticks his head back in, they fucking murder him. <laughs> <laughs> the cops just like murder, like set an example. I'll be like, no. Like smacking a dog with a newspaper, except it's murdering Bomb Voyage. Uh, and then the other... Uh, super villains are like, hey, it's not fun anymore. And then just, just back away. That's what I think happened in this children's movie. Well, see, now with my my ignorance and just lack of knowledge of like comic books, I'm wondering if this is a novel concept or something that's hack, where what if heroes exist to keep the cops in line? <laughs> what if without the, you know, you don't have to worry about the villains once the heroes go away. You have to worry about the people who take the place of the heroes. Yeah, who watches those damn Watchmen, David? God, <laughs> will any movie answer that? Will anyone make that movie? Uh, probably not. Episode 40, John Wick. One. John Wick one, David. Not Wick two, Wick one. Okay, so as you mentioned a moment ago, uh, we are going to talk about John Wick two in episode 49. So I kind of feel a little John Wicked out having recently watched John Wick two. But I'll tell you I'll tell you what. We're halfway through the the series without giving away any spoilers for our John Wick two episode. But uh I gotta tell you, I still really like the John Wick series. That's that's really all I've come here to say. John Wick is great. I'm looking forward to the third and fourth installment, talking about them on the show and just watching them again, because I perhaps I will spoil something in, in the sense that John Wick 2 is the weakest effort of the John Wick series thus far, but it's still a heck of a lot of fun. So I don't know why I'm talking about John Wick 2 instead of the first John Wick right now. If you want to hear my thoughts about John Wick 2, you're going to have to listen to the next episode. Bad news, it's nine hours long. Uh, no, it's not that long. Well, David, at the end of the movie... John Wick chooses a dog to be his dog Wick. He never gives it a name. And uh, we were saying like, it seemed kind of arbitrary. Why did he choose this one dog? And we were we were saying we wish the dog had like, you know, maybe spoken in the voice of Willem Dafoe or something like that. Listener Josh L messaged me and pointed out that on the dog's tag uh, where, you know, in the cage it was in, it said condemned or whatever, you know, oh. like to, to be put down. I don't remember what it said. But basically the fact that he chose that dog because that dog was going to be, uh, you know, uh, not executed, but to sleep. And so, yeah. so John, John Wick saved his life. So there you go. It wasn't arbitrary. Thank you, listener Josh, for pointing out what a dummy I am. But I'll say this about John Wick. 
David, I believe in nothing in terms of religion. I'm I'm a nothing. Mm-hmm. Watching John Wick, I do hope there's some sort of afterlife for all those henchmen that John Wick murdered. Because it seems like, what's the point of being murdered by John Wick if you don't even know it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're in a club and you hear a disturbance and you're like, I must check out disturbance for my Russian bosses. And you turn the corner and you don't even get a chance to be like, is that Baba Yaga, John Wick? Because John Wick's already put two in your skull. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you like, it would just be great. I'd feel so much better. I mean, sure, these guys are scumbags. But if they showed up in the afterlife and like, what the fuck? What am I doing here? And then there's also the other bullet riddled henchmen and they go, you got wicked. And he's like, holy shit, is that who that was? And they're like, yeah, man, shit's crazy. And then I don't know what you do in heaven. You, you drink or something? Just that that's all. I, I hope the the some sort of afterlife where the henchman can can reflect on like, well, you know, he was a force of nature. I was, I was probably going to get murdered anyway. Would you like them to cash in on the low level of celebrity that comes with being killed by John Wick? Would you like some sort of social hierarchy in the afterlife where that means more? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I wouldn't mind if they haunted John Wick and he had to fight ghosts in John Wick 5. That sounds great. Oh, okay. I'm into that. Yeah. Episode 41, Blade 2. Blade 2. I think about Blade 2 a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> like, I'll tend to do that a lot. And I think you might too, where I think the movies that underwhelm me on the mountain tend to stay with me longer, just sort of maybe second guessing them, like wondering how they got made, wondering what my disconnect was to them. Um, but I'll tell you what, it was enough to motivate me to watch Blade Trinity and and complete the series uh, because I've seen one. I saw two for the show. So why not watch Blade Trinity? And I got to tell you, if ever there was going to be justice for Wesley Snipes, I feel like there should be a groundswell behind Blade Trinity. And by what I mean by that is, I think Bla- I think Wesley Snipes got a bad rap when during the production of Blade Trinity because he was cold on set, he was distant, he was only talking through post-it notes, he insisted that he be, re- be referred to as Blade. But as it has come out in the later years, Wesley Snipes wasn't too pleased with the production of the movie because it felt like they were giving the movie, giving the franchise over to Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel, these fresh-faced young white kids who are going to take over the Blade franchise. And watching Blade Trinity, I get exactly where Wesley Snipes is coming from. It really doesn't feel like... It it does feel like a Blade movie, but you could definitely feel them trying to shoehorn the Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel characters in there, not to Mm -hmm. any sort of success. Uh, So I don't know. If it's any small comfort, if it's any victory, yeah, Wesley Snipes, I hear what you're saying, and I get it. Yeah, Parker Posey wrote about her time on Blade Trinity in her autobiography, which is something called like a book to read on an airplane. Do you remember what that book is called, David? It is called You're on an Airplane. I know that because I just finished rereading it. And yeah, in in that book, uh, thank you. In that book, she talks about like talking to Wesley Snipes and him being like, you don't get it. You know, like people don't see what they're doing. They're trying to take this from me. And, And yeah, man, as like a black action hero with a franchise, the fact that they are trying to give it to these like two people, I'd be frustrated too. Especially like, so, well, let me say this. I started watching the commentary for Blade 2, the the track by uh, Guillermo del Toro, and a it's him and producer Peter Frankfurt. And on there, they give some credit to writer David Goyer, but they also like rag on him a lot for some of his choices that he makes. And David Goyer also went on to not only write Blade Trinity, but also direct it. And it seems like David Goyer 
is a good writer as long as you have another person there, a stronger creative force, like on Blade 2, uh, Guillermo del Toro, or like in the Batman movies, Christopher Nolan, a stronger creative force there to like check him, you know? Mm. And so the fact that he was like, oh, he, there's no director there to check his script. Is Blade Trinity going to suck? Yeah, it kind of did. So, I mean, I do like the level of prestige that David Goyer gives comic book projects, but but yeah, just uh, he needs a stronger director and a stronger director is not him. Yeah. But listening to this commentary, it did get me excited about Blade 2 again because Gilman Dotoro in a GDT, he does talk about like, he wanted to graduate the action of this movie. He's like, every fight scene, it needs to like expand in a way to where the best fight is also the last fight. And we talked about that, how we were kind of checked out by the time the last fight happened. So I don't know if he accomplished it. But he also, you know, he, he talks a lot of, um, about a lot of interesting things, his approach to action. There's some shots in the movie where they, they call them L-cam shots. I don't elevated cam. I forget what the L stands for. Mm-hmm. Uh, lucky? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but they talk about how they like piece together different shots, including some CGI, and how he's, he likes most of them, but there's a couple that he's um, you know, not happy with. And it's funny, the ones he liked, they stick out to me like a sore thumb. And that's because, you know, when did Blade 2 come out? 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. 2002, yeah. I mean, 2002, like CGI, here we are 21 years later, or 22 years later, it's definitely like improved. So for him to be like, oh, these shots look great at the time, I think if he looked at them now, he'd be like, yeah, maybe not so great. But he kept talking about how, you know, Wesley Snipes, when he approached a project, he's like, I want these fights to be really brutal and really grounded. And how Guillermo del Toro was like, you know, that's great, but I also want these fights to look like comic books or anime. And these kind of shots where like the camera like whips around, you know, at a possibly like 360 degrees uh, and then these like crazy moves. He's like, that to me captured the, the dynamism of these graphic heavy mediums that I was, was going for. I think Guillermo del Toro, he gets it in terms of like the visual approach for this. I don't think everything he did in this movie was a success. But I think his approach to the action is just, I don't know, it's awesome. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you can tell he's like definitely put a lot of thought on it. And the commentary track, if you could track it down, it is so much fun to listen to. A couple interesting tidbits I wanted to mention. One, we talked about how Donnie Yen was underused in the movie. Well, Donnie Yen also contributed to some of the fight choreography for the movie. So Donnie Yen did not get his due on screen, but at least he did contribute to the movie or the movie did use him. uh, You know, they, they realized what they had, I guess you know, somewhat because they had him choreographing some of the fights. Another thing is the, your favorite, one of your favorite lines in the movie was an ad lib. And that is oh, is that right? when, when Scud played by Norman Reedus offers blade a joint. He goes, you want to smoke B? And then Wesley Snipes goes later. And they, they were talking about how that was an ad lib and how it's like, yeah, he's not a hero. who will be like, no drugs are bad. He was like, yeah, I'll get high later. Uh, so yes, you were wondering if blade gets high. He certainly does. And then Gilmore del Toro was also talking about how, there was nothing left from Blade One in terms of like props, like because they sold them all. In fact, just to have some props to reference, GDT ended up buying them back on eBay. So like wow. the director of Blade Two had to buy some Blade props on eBay. Oh, weird. That's a bummer. That's. But you know what? Now that you say that, Blade does feel like the kind of movie where pieces of it would end up in a ton of different Planet Hollywoods. I don't know if that makes sense for a lot of other movies, but yeah, I could see that happening. Episode 42, Sudden Death. First of all, so much fun with Carrie Lindo. Thank you, Carrie, for recommending that movie and watching it with us and talking about it. Yes, that was a lot of fun. I want to I want to go back and maybe refine something that I had talked about in that episode. 
at some point we talk about Gritty, the uh, the mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, as opposed to Iceberg, the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins mascot. We talk about mm-hmm. how if they had made some sort of gritty movie, it would have been the biggest movie, at least in Philadelphia, if not the world. But I want to I want to be clear about something. I'm not saying we should have an actor playing gritty in this movie. I'm saying we treat gritty as though gritty is an entity unto itself. Like, let's just disabuse ourselves of the notion that there's somebody in that costume. Let's make up a backstory for gritty. Gritty's a space alien, not unlike Alf or something. But I want to be very clear. This movie stars gritty. Gritty's name will be in the credits. It will not be gritty is played by this. Gritty is played by gritty. Gritty as itself, right? Yes, of course. Like, (laughs) it's starring Gritty as Gritty. (laughs) Introducing Gritty as Gritty. Because I think we need something. I think we need to shake up the action industry. And by that, I mean unknown commodities. I think people would really lose their minds if just a mysterious figure was a movie star. Uh, I'm going to try to make that happen. Just like a masked singer element to Hollywood now. David, Sudden Death, as we speak, is currently... Number 30 on the Punch Mountain rankings, I believe. Mm-hmm. And right above it is Birds of Prey, colon, the fantabulous emancipation of Warner Harley Quinn. I would say, David, if I could petition the mountain, and maybe we'll figure out a way to do this, because look, I don't want to anger it. That thing's fucking angry sometimes. Sure. I would put Sudden Death above Birds of Prey. I think Sudden Death, like, you know, we, we talked about some of the things in the movie being really stupid, but the mascot fight. You know, at the end of the day, that that's something that sticks with you. You know what I mean? And Birds of Prey, while it had some fun action, it doesn't have a mascot fight, David. It also doesn't have Powers Booth. That's why I was interested in doing a sudden death episode, because I know it's not a very good movie. But I also know there are so many aspects of it that are right up Mac Blake's alley. And I know <laughs> Powers Booth is. I know the mascot fight is. I know stupid kids are. I know divorces. Like, there's so many little things in this movie that all snowballed to make one big sudden death. Well, look, the thing in the movie that I did not know I was going to love was the dumb plot moves that got Jean-Claude Van Damme to play goalie in the game that was so fucking stupid but so like awesome it was just dumb oh, it was so good so good like i'm not gonna argue for that to propel it up the mountain because you know it's like if you're watching oppenheimer and all of a sudden uh oppenheimer starts rapping you're not gonna be like uh he's ruining this movie but also it's like yes this had to happen he had to rap uh he had to bomb atomically like the wu-tang clan so, like, you know, the fact that Jean-Claude Van Damme in this hockey cop movie had to play hockey, it just, it had to happen. But it wasn't good. But it was also the best. <laughs> but the mascot fight, empirically, David, I, I think science years from now will determine that that scene's amazing. It's amazing. I just think when you say mascot fight, I would have wanted two mascots fighting each other. But instead of just a person fighting one, although I don't know if that makes it better or worse now that I say that out loud. I don't know. We'll think of some sort of mountain appeal in a way where I will get crushed by a boulder for dare questioning the mountain's judgment. So that's something we need to think about. Episode 43, The Protector. <laughs> David, did you end up watching um, the non-Miramax version of The Protector? I didn't. I'm ashamed to say I'm too cheap uh, because I thought that the original version would have been easier to find on some sort of streaming service or some sort of YouTube it was mm-hmm. not, so I figured I'd go buy the disc like I said I was going to. But the the original Protector 
is a little hard to find under $15. Like for used movies and especially movies. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like 50 no, no. bucks. 50. No. Sorry, Richie Rich. I've got a threshold. That's how I became rich because I was frugal <laughs> with my money. Um, no, look, I'm not where I am in my 20s and 30s where I would just go to Best Buy on Tuesdays and say, load them up. I have to be a little more frugal with my physical media dollar. Sure. And just just in my head, I was like, I'm not paying more than 10 bucks for the protector, especially if I'm just looking to watch the original version of which I've only like, all but 26 minutes I've already seen. Mm-hmm. But I'll get to it one day. I, I my, my pledge to you is I'm going to recommit my efforts to eBay to find a copy to watch. I- I'm assuming you did not track it down, Mac. I'm assuming you did not watch whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, why are you putting this on me all of a sudden? I, <laughs> I didn't kill those elephants. I'll tell you what, David. I'll track it down and then I'll mail it to you after I'm done with it, okay? Oh, stop. But yes, okay. <laughs> I like mailing stuff. Episode 44, The Book of Eli. Or is it just Book of Eli? It's The Book of Eli. A Book of Eli? Some Book of Eli. Oh, that was some book of Eli. Well, you're right. That was some book of Eli. I am. I got nothing for this one. I'm surprised I talked for two and a half hours about it the first time. Uh, thank you very much to Brian Gutman for being our guest on that one. Oh, thank you to Kath Barbadoro for being our guest on The Protector. I, I got I got no more thoughts on Book of Eli. Mac, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wrote down in my notes for this. I just wrote down Ray Stevenson. <laughs> like I had some more thoughts on him. I don't remember what those thoughts are because I didn't take any other notes. But yeah, it was super fun to talk to uh, Kath for The Protector and Brian Gubman for, for Book of Eli. I'll say out of all of our guests, I think after talking with us for three hours, I think Brian Gubman was the only one who was like, well, well let's do it again. <laughs> I think every other <laughs> guest like, got their fill. Uh, shout out Brian Gubman who was like, well, well yeah, we'll, we'll dance that dance again, Brian Gubman. Oh, yeah. Episode 45, Atomic Blonde. <laughs> Special thanks to guest Jimena, uh, my, my wife, my partner, my feral wife. There's a lot of comments on um, the Discord or you know or the Facebook fan group or whatever. They're like, "Oh, this this episode had we 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 liked it," which I <laughs> I they had sort of a like it to compliment to where it's like I think people expected to not like it for whatever reason. Why? Because she's feral. <laughs> she's part wolf. You, you yeah. know, just open your open your mind, people. Yeah, this was an awesome episode. Once again, I'm I'm so glad that I got to watch this period, let alone for the mountain. I'm glad that Jimena got to introduce it. There are a couple things I wanted to, to respond to. One is I wanted to make note of something that I forgot to make note of in the episode. Mac, I'm going to play some audio real quick. Did you happen to, did you happen to catch that in the, during the middle of this fight uh, back? Did you happen to see that, hear that sound effect? I mean, David, that's like a, a famous sound effect, but you're saying that was an atomic blonde? That was in Atomic Blonde. That's right, Mac. There was a Wilhelm scream in Atomic Blonde, which is funny because I normally equate the Wilhelm scream with sillier movie efforts, like, you know, almost like they're kind of mailing it in or just having a wink and a nod with the audience. I was not expecting to hear that in Atomic Blonde. So that's the only reason I bring it up. In fact, I wouldn't doubt it if it's been in like 10 of the movies on the mountain so far. But the fact that it was in Atomic Blonde damn near took me out of it for that moment. Uh, but the second thing I wanted to mention about Atomic Blonde is a response to Conaton C. I'm so sorry. We're going to have to figure out how to pronounce that. But it's, it's Chris from the Discord. He elaborated on a point we were making about Eddie Marsan uh, when we were watching the movie uh, who played Spyglass. He was excellent in that role. I was happy to see him in that role. It made me want to see other Eddie Marsan roles. 
And so Chris on the Discord essentially reminds us, oh, he was in Happy Go Lucky. He was teaching Sally Hawkins how to drive. It was a very charming role. But then he also goes on to say, anyway, his IMDb is a mile long, and you guys have all probably seen him in a bunch of things and not noticed him. Look, I don't want to be this person about it, but I pulled up Eddie Marsan's IMDb. I have it open right now. I probably haven't seen more than four or five things. I mean, he's got a 141 active credits or live credits, I guess, stuff that's been released already. He had a bit part in Vice. He was in The World's End. Uh, but a lot of this stuff is British stuff. I don't know. I do like him, though. May I'll tell you what, Discord, by the time you hear this, can you recommend an Eddie Marsan role or an Eddie Marsan picture? And I'll do some more Eddie Marsan diving. Well, I mentioned on the podcast that the first thing I remember seeing him in was he was like the uh, the copper in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. And so in my mind, he's like this tough guy. <laughs> so that because that's the, his first impression, that's like the Eddie Marsan template in my brain. So the fact that he was like kind of a... Uh, a timid figure in this. I was like, oh, Eddie Marsan playing against type. I have no idea what his type is. I just yeah. made an assumption. Yeah. This is an episode that I, I wanted to put a disclaimer at the beginning, like, hey, this one's got some fucking plot. It's bringing the plot dogs. <laughs> that I would say, watch the movie and then listen to the episode. Because I think some of these, you know, either you've if you've seen it once, that that's plenty, or we don't get too deep into plot. Like, if, if you listen to our Sun Death episode, and when it's all said and done, if you're like, what's the plot of that movie? Be like, ah, oh, terrorist, and then he fights him. It's like, yeah, you got it. But because of all the like twists and turns that are uh, crucial to understanding Atomic Blonde, I would say please watch it and then listen to the episode. But some people didn't, and they were fine. So, David, this was based on a comic book called The Cold City, and I mentioned at the time I did not read it. I've read it, and I had to say I'm stunned oh. because this comic book uh, or graphic novel, or whatever it was. I don't know if it was serialized or if it just came out in one edition. It could not be more just like understated. Like the art is very simple and clear, but it's not flashy at all. The characters, it's a, you know, it's done in black and white, and you know, the art's not necessarily. I mean, it tells a story, and it's it's good in that regard, but it's not very detailed. The characters in it, you know, they're sort of more what you expect of like a a John Le Carre novel, like. Everyone's you know dressed professionally. No one's like no one's atomic blonding it out, right? Like Lorraine Broaden looks like a civil servant. The David Percival character played like a with wild abandon by James McAvoy, you know, in the comic book was just he, again, he looked like a bureaucrat. And the action scenes in it are some of them are in there, but not all of them. Just the fact that someone took this comic book and turned it into such a fucking balls to the wall crazy movie is kind of stunning because it's it's pretty dry. I feel like the opposite happens usually, whereas someone like will take a crazy-ass comic and kind of like tone it down a little bit. But whoever read this comic and was like, what if this thing was fucking insane? Props to that person because, yeah, I, I was I was stunned. It, it just feels so different from the movie. That's kind of awesome. I I like finding stuff like that out, especially for this show where – you know, there's a lot of movies on this mountain I wouldn't have normally given a second thought to. But once you study the movie or, and once you kind of try to unpack it and make sense of it, like, how did this get made? What were they going for? And then you find out there's different versions out there. There's something neat about that. Like, oh, I'll tell you what, as, as a kind of an aside, the bombshell and I watched World War Z yeah. the other day because I had never read it up, up until a few months ago. I just finished it the other day. And so the bombshell was like, oh, you've got to see this movie. This movie has yeah. nothing to do with the, with the book. 
Because the book is like, you know, for those who don't know, I think it's just me and maybe four other people, but it's sort of an oral history almost. It's a, it's a chronicling from many different points of view of the planned response to a zombie infestation. You know, it, it really picks it up kind of halfway through the story. You're not there on day zero when the, when the zombies come. Yeah, it's oral history from the survivors of this fictional zombie war. Right, yes. And have you seen the movie at all? Yeah, I have seen it, yes. Okay, so I, I'm not spoiling anything for anybody, especially fans of the book, because there is nothing in that movie that has anything to do with the book. Maybe a reference to a battle here or a, to a location there, but the movie really is just Brad Pitt versus zombies to the point where we're watching it going, why did they even call it World War Z? This would have been a perfectly okay zombie movie, but it has nothing to do with World War Z. And just like for the creative people, for Max Brooks and his team to sign off on that, it's so weird. But like I stuff like that also fascinates me, no matter how weird it is. Well, if you make a proper adaptation, it would feel like a fake Ken Burns like documentary, mm-hmm. which would be interesting, but it's not going to uh, be a summer movie. And yeah, David, the name World War Z is fucking awesome. That's why if they bought it just for the title, <laughs> they didn't waste their money. <laughs> Fair enough. Episode 46, True Lies. Episode 46, True Lies. Thank you to Andrew Rosas, our dear, dear friend, uh, for being on this episode. I was really glad to talk about this movie. I was really glad to talk about it with Andrew. But I was mostly glad to talk about it. And I'll ask you, Mac, do you think this is a classic? Do you think this is a classic action movie? Interesting. Yeah, that's tricky. I don't know. I don't. What about you? So up until a few years ago, up until maybe even the the recording of this episode, I thought, yeah, unquestionably, because I remember it from my childhood. I remember the hype around it. I remember it delivering on the hype. But I don't know if if it lives on in people's minds. I don't know if there was a stickiness to it that stayed with people the same way like a Jurassic Park or a Terminator series or a Die Hard series would. You know, I think it did, because I know one listener, we'll call him Doug, our friend Doug H., he messaged me after I posted about it saying like, I've been waiting for this one. I knew this one was going to pop up. I'll say this. I think True Lies is an action classic now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's going to be an action classic 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Terminator 2 will be an action classic 20 years from now. I don't know if Fast Five is going to be an action classic 20 years from now. But, I mean, maybe. It, it might be. True Lies, definitely. I mean, the end of that movie it was just, it was cooking, you know? Yeah. I was very I was very happy to see the response on Discord. I think a lot of people agreed with our sentiment that the second half of that movie, classic action movie, that first half, you can more or less do without. I did want to qualify some of my reaction to the first half of that movie. Because we were talking about, like, what a shitty husband Arm Schwarzenegger's character was to Jamie Lee Curtis. But in, in my, like you know, tut-tutting and, and wagging of my finger. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Because look, people having fucked up relationships in movies, yeah, man, I'm here for it. You know what I mean? That's why I'm <laughs> watching True Lies and not Good Relationship, the movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the fact that, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character was doing like weird fucked up things to Jamie Lee Curtis, I'm not against it because doing weird fucked up things is interesting in a for a movie. I was against the fact that there's no repercussions. They never mm. had a conversation about it. Schwarzenegger's character, Harry Tasker, never got called to account. You know, there was no um, justice for his crimes. <laughs> well, maybe justice isn't the right word. I don't need justice for his crimes. I just need acknowledgement that those are crimes. Because the movie was like, what a hilarious thing he's doing to his wife, running like psyops on her or something. Because that's funny. 
the spy doing spy shit on his own wife is fucked up in a funny kind of shitty way. Mm-hmm. But again, there has to have, if the repercussions are more shitty fucked up things, then that's what they are, my man. But the fact that they're like, oh, well, that was perfectly fine. Moving on. Happy couple. Oh, look, it's, um, uh, what's his face? Bill Paxton for no fucking reason. Again, suddenly he's a caterer. Sure, why not? Yeah, that's that's the delicate balance of true lies, where, for lack of a better term, the punishment has to fit the crime, where if Harry Tasker's reaction to his wife's supposed infidelity is to go off the handle, is to, you know, be kind of slapsticky with his response and to be sort of a broad comedy type of response, then Helen Tasker's reaction to finding this out needs to match that. But instead, you have... No time for Helen's reaction right now. There's a nuclear bomb going off and my daughter's been kidnapped. Because I think we made this comparison in the episode itself, but comparing True Lies to The Incredibles, where the husband's shittiness is part of their growth arc. Part of their growth is to learn not to be shitty husbands, but to be a hero Mm -hmm. at home as well as being a hero for everybody else. But it pays off a little bit better in The Incredibles because there's a saccharine quality, there's a sweetness to, to it in The Incredibles. That pays off in in the third act in The Incredibles. You do feel that Mr. Incredible understands that, oh, he's not strong enough to, to do this alone. He does need his wife and he does appreciate her. I didn't get that same feeling in True Lies. It was just, hey, he wants to fly in a Harrier jet. Me, me, me. Let's all go. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> Episode 47, The Taking of Pelham. One, two, three. I was very happy to show this movie to you and to everybody who listened and ended up watching the movie. I do want to check in with you. It has been a few weeks since we recorded. Did you happen to watch that remake after all? Did you happen to watch that 2009 Pelham? Oh, I still want to, but no, I have not watched it yet. Why do you ask? No, the more I think about it, the dumber it is. And so I was (laughs) hoping to share that with the audience because, you know, the original Pelham, the 74 Pelham is such a stripped down movie. And I think that's part of what makes it work is that. You know, I even say it in the episode, oh, I kind of wish they had focused on the passengers for a little bit, or I kind of wish they had gotten a broader view of, of what's going on with the city. Then again, no, I don't, because the movie is what it is. It is Walter Matthau having a bad day at work. It is Robert Shaw and his crew trying to hold this, this train car for ransom and get away with it. That's all it is. That's all it needs to be. The remake, however, without spoiling too much, I, 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 don't, I don't think I will by the time you get around to watching it. But they take John Travolta, who is the Robert Shaw character, and they make him some day trader. They make him some stockbroker who's using the hijacking, who's using the the chaos to crash the stock market so that he could buy low on some stocks and make a killing. And it's stuff like that. Like There's also a subplot where Denzel Washington is crooked, and that's how he actually got demoted to where he is. He like took a bribe from uh he took a bribe for some rail car contract it's all this extra padding it's all this unnecessary story when all you really need is one guy's holding a car for hostage he wants x amount of money another guy's trying to stop him like that's really all it needed to be uh another person in the pocket of big rail car (laughs) well david i'm gonna go ahead and ask for a spoiler but i don't need details i'm still shook by the death of robert shaw's character in pella one two three just an amazing death, the likes of which the mountain has, has never seen in its uh, 48 episodes so far. Does John Travolta's character die the same way? No, he does a very oh, fucking, plain... What are we doing? Fucking, Seriously. what are we fucking fuck? 
Why do you have Look John Travolta? Shit, not- <laughs> All right, we'll settle down. <laughs> but like, why have John Travolta if you're not going to kill him in a hilarious way? I do. Not- John Woo knows the recipe. I don't know why nobody else does. I don't get it. What are we even doing here? Episode forty-eight, Sucker Punch. This is the freshest one in our memories. We just did it the other day. Mac, do you have any? Do you have any additional thoughts before I get into my additional thoughts about Sucker Punch? Uh, no, I mean full disclosure. David, there's a segment on the show where we ask each other, is this someone's favorite movie? And we recorded it. And then the next time we we sat down to record an episode, I asked you if I could go back and re-record mine. Because originally I was like, uh, probably not. And then the more I thought about Sucker Punch, the more my appreciation for how weird it was grew a little bit. Because, you know, I, I think it still leans a little too hard on exploitation. And it thinks it's like winking at the camera when it's like, yeah, you're... <laughs> It doesn't even out. But I do think that its level of titillation is more burlesque than porn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for that, I think it's the the thing that people use to dismiss it the fastest. The fact that it's like, oh, these are, um, you know, there's just like the pussycat dolls uh, in the Matrix or something like that. Mm. You know, I, I don't think that's necessarily a uh, reason to dismiss it. I still think the way it's structured is like fundamentally flawed, or at least in a way that I find very unsatisfying because again, David, I'm, you know, I'm part of dads, dads against dream sequences. And I, I think that could have been handled a little bit differently, but yeah, it didn't, um, it didn't move my needle in terms of Zack Snyder. I still find him a very entertaining director. Speaking of Zack Snyder, did you watch the new Zack Snyder movie Rebel Moon on Netflix? I have not yet. I got in my own head about it. I saw that there wasn't particularly glowing notices about it. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll get to it when I get to it. Why, Mac, have you? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> it is. It's something else. David, you heard this story about Raiders of the Lost Ark in terms of how the sort of the movie kind of came about. And I say story. I mean, this is referenced on the Wikipedia page. The idea that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, they came up with a list of set pieces they wanted to see in the movie. And then they gave it to, uh, I don't remember who, Lawrence Kasdan or somebody like that to like, you know, flesh it out. So this idea of like writing a bunch of scenes down and then making a movie around the scenes you want to see, you know, we talked about how that's sucker punch kind of feels like that. Mm-hmm. Right. With Rebel Moon, I, I you cannot convince me that Zack Snyder did not 100% do this. Just write down a bunch of scenes and then write a Star Wars movie around it <laughs> and then cross out the word Star Wars and write at Rebel Moon because, oh my God, they're like, oh, this warship is going to blow up our small town a la Seven Samurai. Uh, we need to go recruit four people to help us against uh you know a giant battleship and it's like oh the first guy oh i'm hold on i gotta i gotta bronco bust a griffin like a flying oh. griffin real quick they're like okay and then we'll meet the other lady she's on a techno plane at bop and she's like i got a lightsaber fight a spider woman and it's like by that i mean you know like a centaur david but instead of a horse the body is of a spider mm. and it's like all right let's take a let's slam the brakes on the plot for these scenes but yeah man I mean, in a way, it's it's interesting because it's like these characters really don't get developed. It's like, no, no, no. These action scenes are character development, okay. which honestly, in a way, I appreciate. But oh, man, Rebel Moon is nuts. I don't uh, I don't feel like submitting it to the mountain. You know what okay. I mean? I think we're OK. Uh, not watching it. Maybe, who knows? Maybe when Rebel Moon 2, Electric Rebel Moonaloo, I forget what it's called. That's probably it. When that comes out, we can... Uh, we could uh, shoot the moon and do and do both movies, but I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's good where it is. So since you've seen part one, do you feel pot committed to watch part two? Or are you just going to let that one, you're just going to see how you feel that day? 
uh, David, as much as I made that noise uh, while watching <laughs> Ruffle Moon, I, fu- I fucking enjoyed it. God damn it. Okay. It was definitely cheesy, especially when that dude was like, you know, riding that griffin. I think I said that loud. What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's got, oh man, what's her fucking name? Sophia Patel. Thank you. Uh, you know, in, in Atomic Blonde. And I like her. I feel like she's winning. Mm. And it's got Jaiman uh, Hunsu in it too. I'm a sucker for that dude. He's yeah. great. So yeah, I mean, it's, I'll watch it. Sure. You know, you've already got me. But the other thing, David, is the movie was out for like a day and I saw an article and the article was something like uh, Zack Snyder says, his director's cut of Rebel Moon is a totally different movie. And I'm like, oh my God, what's with this guy in director's cuts? I was reading the article and, and my thinking before actually reading the article was that like, oh, kind of like his Justice League or his other movies, he wanted to make a certain movie the studio pushed back, and so now he's like, oh, fine, I'll release my actual vision. But that's not necessarily the case with Rebel Moon. With Rebel Moon, it's like that was sort of built into it. Mm-hmm. Like, he was like, I will make this version for this movie, and then later on, I will make some stuff for a director's cut, which seems weird. It seems like your goal should be to make a movie that works for both. Like, find a studio that would support your vision, but I, it doesn't... Maybe it's not stupid to do that, though. You know, like, oh, I will make a commercial version, a PG-13 version of this, and then I will go ahead and make my crazy R-rated version. That's That seems, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? It feels gimmicky, definitely, to the point of, I think it's very easy to feel cynical about it. Uh, I don't quite know how he does it. Like, in my head, if he were to shoot completely different footage for a different version there's something about that that makes more sense to me, almost in the same way that if you remember when Anchorman came out on DVD and there was the Best Buy exclusive Wake Up Ron Burgundy that was basically just an entirely different movie cobbled together from other other footage that was shot. That was neat. It was never going to replace Anchorman, but it like you know it was it was neat to see that this thing could exist. But like, what are you getting out of this, Zack Snyder, other than trying to milk a few extra bucks? Like, I feel like. This is a stunt that has passed its day. Like this is something that belongs in the time of physical media when we were buying up Blu-rays and DVDs, but now it just feels like you're just you're commandeering our time and you haven't earned it. Yeah, it feels weird. It's kind of like in order to make Anchorman, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay had to agree to make a version of Anchorman that would play on like ABC Family mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. Obviously the version of Rebel Moon that's on Netflix right now is not ABC Family friendly. Unless ABC Family had a lot of murder, uh, Spider Woman murders, um, but <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it's it's odd to make two versions of. I mean, maybe it's not. I think I'd like to see other directors do it before I lend credence to it because right now it's just him. It's just his mental deficiency that that compels him to make two versions of something. But if you were to get other artists, other filmmakers doing this, then maybe you can evolve it into its own type of art form. You know what? That's very interesting. I, I agree with that. It, it, it will be interesting to see if this becomes a trend. Because there's that, like, you know, I forget who said it or whatever, but uh, I remember John Malkovich talking one time. He's like, I make one for them and one for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I make Con Air so I can make being John Malkovich or whatever he was working on. So, like, what if the one for me and one for them is the same movie? That's <laughs> odd. Like that movie, uh, Poor Things. Like, if that, uh, it's like, oh, I made a, a version with more fart sounds in it or something. And then that's, uh, <laughs> That's just, you know, burning up the multiplex. Yeah. But yeah. Did you like Rebel Moon audience? Let us know. But David, that's everything on our inventory list. Episodes 37 through 48.
David, some lingering questions about these movies. Of the last 12 movies, what is your favorite action set piece? You know, there's really only one that stands out in my mind. Taking a look at the past 12 episodes, I know I normally give credit to a lot of finalists, to a lot of runners-up. Far and away, for me, the action set piece that stays in my mind is going to be the stairway fight in Atomic Blonde. It is an absolute classic. Like, honest to goodness, no qualifiers to it. If you have not seen Atomic Blonde yet, for whatever reason, get over that reason. This is an awesome movie. That was an awesome action set piece. Yeah, it's number one for me, and it's not even close. Although Special Achievement Oscar, of course, goes to the mascot fight in Sun Death, a.k.a. Sunny D. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. David, looking over the past 12 movies, was there a hero that you didn't get enough of? I will go with the same movie. I'm going to go with Lorraine Broughton. You mentioned it in the episode. We should have three of these movies by now, at the very least. I would love to see the further adventures of Lorraine Broughton. I would love to see uh, more Atomic Blondes. So that's going to be my answer. Yeah, me too. Obviously, Lorraine Broughton, there should be like five Atomic Blondes by now. But my second pick for this, my second place, it might surprise you. From Need for Speed, Toby Marshall. What? I would not mind seeing the continuing adventures of Toby Marshall if I was guaranteed he'd kill one of his friends in every movie. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. (laughs) In the first movie, God, what was the name of that annoying dude who was just like, I had a dream about us. We were walking on the beach together and everything was perfect. I'll never die. Oh, Rusty or whatever that... It was even worse. Little Pete, I think his name was. (laughs) Little Pete, yes, of course. Yeah, as long as, like, for some reason, his actions just fuck things up even more. <laughs> like, just, oh, no, more of my friends are dead, I'm a bitch, or something like that. If you could guarantee me that, I'd, I'd be on board. As much as I love defending that movie, he does have a real murderings row of friends, like Kid Cudi, Rami Malek, Little Pete. Yeah, they could all go one by one. Yeah, don't you want to see Rami Malek, uh, I mean, not him in real life, but his character, like, cut in half by some helicopter blades? Sure, everybody does. <laughs> All right, David, of the last 12 movies, was there a villain you didn't get enough of? Like, if, if was there a villain that you'd like to see elevated, like a franchise villain, kind of like uh, a Thanos or a Darth Vader? I'll tell you what, these three questions, the answers to them had some real boat races. None of these were close. For this one, I'm going to go Joshua Foss from Sudden Death. That's Powers Booth. Oh, Boone. my goodness. I mean, you know, we, we mentioned it in the episode. It's that sort of Brad Wesley smarminess. It's that... He's he's doing this all in a tux. He's so suave. But then he throws that Rip Taylor wig on and that Rip Taylor mustache on. And I don't know what the fuck he's doing. God bless him. God bless Joshua Foss. See, I would like to see a prequel series because <laughs> I, I think it was revealed that he was a disgruntled um, like treasury department of the, the treasury employee. Yeah. Like what drove him to be like, God damn it. I'm going to kidnap the vice president. That's not terrible. Uh, Powers Booth impression. But, but yeah, I, that would be interesting. Uh, that's a great choice. I'm going to say the blood pack from Blade 2, specifically Donnie Yin's character. God damn it. Just see him kick some more ass. Please, God. I know we could just watch Ip Man or son of, some other Donnie Yin movie, which we probably should. Uh, because mm-hmm. uh, I got a, I got a real uh, yin yarn right now. Uh, I know. <laughs> some cranberry juice will clear that up. <laughs> but uh, but that is, that's, my, that's my pick, the, the blood pack. Dave, we got a couple questions on the Punch Mountain fan page on Facebook. Facebook fan page? Fan page face page. That'll never not blow my mind. <laughs> it, it, I appreciate it. Uh, Chris says he thought of a question. I asked people. and He goes, now that you've done several quote-unquote classic action movies, are there any blanket statements you care to make regarding pre-1980s action? Thank you, Chris. This feels like a setup. This feels like a very leading question. Look, you <laughs> 
you want to admit that they're all duds? Do you want me to admit that they're not going <laughs> to? I admit it. I'm not going to stop bringing movies to the mountain, though. I, you know, we just did Pelham the other day. I was really glad that that went over as well as it did. I think a lot of people kind of discovered that movie for the first time. At the root of presenting earlier movies, I do want to try to get to the bottom of like, where did all of this start? Like, how did we get from, you know, Robin Hood with Errol Flynn all the way to, you know, John Wick? Like, what was in the middle of that to to cause this evolution, to cause this progress? So I'm always going to be interested, but I guess my blanket statement is they just, they don't cut the mustard when it comes to a definitive ranking of action movies. I just, you know, there's a lot missing there that we didn't develop until the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I mean, you said it before, David, we make them good now. And, uh, you know, starting in the 80s, you started to see more of a, a global presence for action movies, you know, more of the influence of... Uh, the martial arts films on U.S. cinema, and then you had George Miller doing his thing. It just it, it felt like uh, the '80s is maybe where it started to click uh, for you know a lot of like a different kind of of action movie. I mean, yeah, it's hard to hard to argue with the, the Schwarzenegger, Stallones, Van Dams of the world, etc. A blanket statement about pre-1980s action. I agree, maybe not as good. Yeah, but there's got to be some good ones. We'll find them. We'll fucking find them. I think there's maybe a half dozen left in the, in everything pre-1980. I think there's maybe like a half dozen movies that would contend for a conversation near the top of the mountain. But after that, it's really just going to be my enjoyment only. Like, if I want to show you Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges, I'm going to show it to you. It'll end up in the gift shop or it'll end up at the base, but I, I don't care. This is This show is about having fun with movies. I'll tell you what we have not covered yet. That's uh, Enter the Dragon from 1973. That's yep. That's one of the one on my mind. Yeah, I feel like if we're going to make a blame, blanket statement, that blanket is going to get burned or punched in half by uh, by Mr. Bruce Lee. I actually watched a video of somebody punching a piece of paper in half the other day, which is apparently hard, hard to do. Oh, was it like floating or was it like just like pinned up? Yeah, I was just holding a piece of loose leaf paper, and the the guy was like, you know, like putting his fist sort of prepping for it and then he just punched it real quick and the paper ripped in half pretty i mean i'm not i'm not an asshole i'm not like i could do that but it's one of those things where it's like i guess that's impressive I, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna make a real quick phone call excuse me one second hello new year's resolution hotline yeah i'd like to change mine an extra 900 dollars. okay i don't understand the system but all right i'll send that right away <laughs> i'm gonna punch paper. oh no they charge you for yours yeah yeah, yeah. Do, does your service not no, no as long as i actually do it it's free of charge oh that's where the penalties come in my man I got to do it. Oh, okay. I understand. It's kind of like that uh, James Woods movie where if he didn't stop smoking, they electrocuted his wife. Do you know what that movie is, Mac? <sighs> Tales from... Sp- I, what is it? It's Stephen King's Cat's Eye. Uh, wait, hold on. And that's a that's an anthology movie, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I forget the other two. Now, I know uh, one is like Drew Barrymore is getting attacked by gremlins in her sleep and her cat is protecting her, but her cat is being accused of trying to steal her breath. That's insane. I watched this horror movie the other day where uh, James Woods played Rudy Giuliani, and uh, God, what a nightmare. Oh, we have another question uh, from Jordan, and I, I asked people if there's anything on the list that like bothered them. You know what I mean? Like any sort of ranking that they took umbrage with. And so Jordan says, the only trend I sort of see in this list that I disagree with is that the fun, campy action movies tend to get pushed to the bottom. When it comes to pound-for-pound pound fun with action, I feel like movies like RoboCop 2 or Cliffhanger or Sun Death easily outrank Top Gun Maverick. But then again, maybe I just watched too many campy movies to have that bias. Thank you for the question, Jordan, uh, or comment. Great comment. However, I, I don't say I'd agree with you. I mean, Because if you look at RRR, that's pretty high on the list, and that movie is campy. 
I, I think it's just a matter of like the the kind of cheesier movies we've done, or at least the three that you you mentioned. You know, when you compare them specifically to Top Gun Maverick, yeah, I mean, I think Sun Death or Cliffhanger are definitely more pure action movies than Top Gun Maverick. But in regards to Top Gun Maverick, there was a moment in that movie that made me like pump my fist, which I <laughs> I I do not usually reserve for movies. So, you know, I'm giving credit where credit's due when it comes to uh, TGM. However, I mean, Hard Target, I feel like Hard Target is pretty cheeseball. And that was, uh, you know, is that still in the top 10? I don't think so. But we've talked about this before where the day might come where we revisit a few titles. I know you've mentioned The Rock is one that keeps you up at night. I think Hard Target is the one for me that I'd like to go back and revisit. But, you know... I think that's going to be the case for all of the early ones where we just didn't quite have the wealth of knowledge to compare one movie to the next. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm inclined to I'm inclined to agree with Jordan on this one to an extent, but I'm also not going to stop trying, if that makes sense. Like, I think there is a movie out there that is exactly what Jordan's looking for and also unlocks a lot of stuff for us at the top of the mountain. I just don't know what it is yet. That's kind of you know, when we were doing our first few episodes, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to submit Deadly Prey for the Mountain, just to test the strike zone and see, okay, maybe a little more story and coherence, maybe a little less violence against women. I hear you. Let's try again. And then, you know, we try Robot Jocks or we'll try, you know, Need for Speed, something a little sillier and something a little less up its own ass, but like not to disparage Top Gun Maverick or any other movie, but like, I don't know. I I, I hear what you're saying, but I also think we're we're... We're giving it the old college try, trying to find a, a silly or fun movie that works. I mean, looking at the the rankings now, RRR is number 12. So, I mean, yeah, there are no really sort of campy movies in the top 10. But those movies that you, you mentioned in particular, uh, Jordan, Robocop 2, Cliffhanger, and Sun Death, I definitely loved watching all those movies. So if the rankings have a bias against campy movies... Uh, I think that um, maybe the sample size is too small is is my take on it. But I don't know. We'll see. That kind of goes back to something I've said over and over again. I think, you know, starting with the Book of Eli episode where we have to really consider that the episode itself or the ranking on the mountain is the victory. Because, you know, look at RoboCop 2. I don't know if anyone is putting RoboCop 2 on a list of 100 greatest action movies. I don't know if anyone's putting them on a list of name 100 movies. So, you know, the, <laughs> the fact that we've done an episode of it and the fact that it's there currently at, at number 42 as of this recording, hey, man, you take the victories where you can. Yeah. Okay, David. Well, it's a new year. Let's talk about what is to come on the mountain. What what can people expect from the next 12 episodes uh, coming up here on Punch Mountain? Oh, gosh. That's going to cover a, a fair amount of milestones, Mac. Uh, not the least of which is going to be my birthday. I do get my annual birthday pick, and that is going to be the aforementioned John Wick 2. But then after that, that's going to be episode 50, the big 5-0, Mac. Yeah, you know, it's uh, a landmark episode. And so... The most requested movie, which we've kind of been avoiding because it just feels like, you know, the movie that people want us to do, it's going to be what, David? We're doing Die Hard for episode 50. Yes, we are doing the Die Hard. And yeah, I think I'm looking forward to it. I feel like it's a movie we could go pretty in depth on, but we don't necessarily need to because I think a lot of people have like, they they get it. They get it with Die Hard. You know what I mean? They remember what happens. Uh, yippee ki crash right yeah there's not going to be a lot of hand-holding with this episode it is really just our feelings on it it might be one of the shortest episodes it might be one of the longest episodes it could go either way yeah we we shall see also uh, i want to get to a i don't know when 
But uh, we've talked about doing a Mila Jovovich movie in, in here, and I'd, I'd like to get to that as well. And then also, I talked about it with uh, listener Josh, that Neil Marshall film Doomsday, I think would be a lot of fun to do. And then, all, I mean, we just talked about it now. But yeah, another Donnie Yen movie would be great. I don't know if we're going to get to it in this next batch, the next dozen, or wait for the next one. But is there something else you, uh, you got coming up you want to you wanna check out, David? You know, I'll tell you what, judging by the conversation we've had on the Discord, and again, I'm, I'm appreciative to everybody who contributes on that, I would like to revisit some action animation. Oh, we did get a lot of really good picks, yeah. Yeah, there was one in particular. I don't want to ruin it now or spoil it now. It did come up a lot, and it was a title that uh, that has been with me for years and years, but I've never actually seen. So, yeah, when we finally decide on an animation pick, I think that would be something I'd like to see in the next dozen episodes. I'll go ahead and spoil it, David. It's Porco Rosso. It's the movie about... Michael Keaton as a flying World War I pig uh, taking down <laughs> some Italian uh, uh, hearts and minds, I guess. Some pirates. Yeah, but no, there's a lot of good options out there. We will also be coming up on uh, episode 52, which will signify a year of Punch Mountain. I would like to do something special for that. So yeah, the next dozen episodes are going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. And yeah, if any time, if you feel like the mountain is ranked a movie too high or too low, I'd love to have some people... Uh, give us some feedback, advocate for some movies. Because, you know, I I think once we've done a year's worth of films, episode 52, I did mention that I want to go uh, back and rewatch them uh, or, you know, give some like a second viewing. And I think the first one, just because I, I've sort of lost a sense of it, is um, I think in the next batch, or at least for the next inventory episode, I'm probably going to try and rewatch The Rock and see if maybe The Mountain was wrong about it. Because, you know, that's a lot of people's like one of their top 10 action movies and it's like 18 and falling on, on our uh, current rankings. So, yeah. you know, we'll see if it, you know, it will resubmit to the mountain, see if the mountain uh, reconsiders it or if the mountain uh, hates me for even questioning its judgment. We'll find out. <laughs> we will find out. You know, David, we have gotten one question a lot. I will say this. And the question is, how exactly do we determine the rankings? And the answer is, is there's a giant mountain that tells us. Why, what, what is that? Why is that so hard to get? How, how, how do you not get this? There's rocks fall off and there's golden letters that we see. There's, aren't you guys listening? There's a noise. Yeah. As employees of the video store, we also tend to the mountain in the backyard. How do you not get this? It's the easiest thing in the world. There's a magic mountain. Are you stupid? <laughs> the ranking of action movies. <laughs> why, would you have, why would you possibly have any more questions? And folks, that will do it for another inventory episode. That'll do it for another episode of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. You can also join us on Discord. The link is in our link tree. The link tree is on our Instagram. Find more of Mac's stuff at MacBlakeComedy.com. Next week, from 2017 and directed by Chad Stahelski, it's John Wick Chapter 2. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.